Ladies and gentlemen, and our listeners, Talking Trek Wars, welcome to, we're here with Har, 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 episode one, episode one, episode one, turn it off mate, we'll get sued, copyright infringement, what, we don't, Jesus Christ, we're still, fuck it, we can't keep trying this, we're gonna keep, we're gonna go, we're doing episode one, it's our new series. Episode 1, Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. Wars. The Phantom Menace. The Phantom Menace? Alright, just so our listeners know, this is like our eighth attempt at starting this episode, and now it sounds all fucked up. We get it. We're just going with it. Maybe we'll try and edit this one. No, that's a lie. No. I'm not going to edit it. No, no. You're no. just going to suffer through all that copyright infringement that we just put you through. So, yeah, last year we did... Because our... I dare Disney to send us a cease and desist letter, because I will fucking frame it. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, Sheldon Cooper getting a uh, restraining order and it's signed by Stan Lee. He's like, oh, yes. Hey, I get to see him again in court. Uh, yeah, okay. Last year we did the Prime Universe uh, Star Trek films. Uh, yes, and, and we successfully went through them all. Yes, even though we're, there's supposed to be a part two of Nemesis that we're still waiting on the person. Hint, hint. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Yes. This year we're going in our build-up to episode 9. We're going to go through the entire saga plus uh, spin-off films. So here's the question I have for you, because I don't think we've talked about it. Are we going to watch... Are we going to review the spin-offs in chronological order or release order? Chronological order, just like how we're doing the movies in chronological order, not release order. Otherwise we'd be at episode 4 and not episode 1. So it's we're doing 1, 2, 3... Solo, Rogue One, four, five, six, seven, seven eight. eight, and then we'll be at nine. Okay. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven, twelve. <laughs> yes, we're having fun with counting. Yeah, blah 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 blah. So, for those of us who didn't grow up in the eighties and nineties, that reference is lost. It was a dual reference. Yeah, he yes. was referencing a movie. I did, I did the count from Sesame Street and then Hotel Transylvania. Yes. So, okay, released in May of 1999. Yes, people, it is 20 years old this year. Holy balls. Uh, George Lucas, John Williams, let's go with it. So, realizing that this movie is 20 years old, I have to say, props to Natalie Portman. She has <laughs> aged incredibly well. Kira Knightley? Also aged incredibly well. Ewan McGregor? Eh, he's aged okay. I, I don't know. I know some people would say he doesn't look that old. I think he... Liam was... Neeson. He aged, he aged from this to badass. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, in the vein of our tradition, we will do the good, the bad, the bad and the ugly... And there are probably going to be quite a few arguments along the way. I don't know. So, I will start with my favorite of the goods. Okay. Fucking Liam Neeson. I have Qui-Gon on my list as well. Is it delight? He is the the best actor in the entire movie. Okay. I, I You believe him as Qui-Gon. You don't have issues with the way his dialogue comes out because... We know that a lot of Star Wars dialogue is intentionally somewhat wooden. Even in the original trilogy. Right, right. But with everything he's, every line he presented, 
You never felt the wooden nature of it. And I think a lot of the interpretation that we're going to go into here with our review, yeah. uh, at least for me, it's hard to know that this was the actual, the fourth film. Right. Uh, but you can't disassociate knowing the whole story. So, I mean, yes, it's yeah. going to play into our my review at least. Right. But to me, Liam Neeson and the character Qui-Gon Jinn is what your quote-unquote perfect Jedi should be. Right. Because we have, we have, we're going to be given plenty of examples of bad Jedi. Right. Or at least um, quagmired Jedi. Right. So, yeah. quagmire. Uh, not that quagmire, the other yeah. quagmire. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I will agree. I have Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, I think, you're when you're first introduced. Uh, Ewan McGregor's coming into the role, I think. No, By I, episode two, I think he's a more... Yeah, but I also think that's not not just him as an actor. I think that's the character, because the character up front is kind of brash and an asshole. Like, you know, why don't tell me we picked up another pathetic life, and, you know, he's just... He, he, he's a dick. Right. He's a dick, and he hasn't really taken Qui-Gon's lessons fully to heart yet. And by right. the end of it, he's not the same person. Right. And a lot of that has to learn, like, Jar Jar teaches him a lot. Yes. Anyways, um, another good. Despite the movie now being 20 years old, I actually felt that the CGI held up quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Right? There's definitely movies we've watched where the CGI from 20 years ago, you're like, oh, oh, that's uh, that's rough. This yeah. didn't have that. Um, and to think at the time when it came out, it was criticized pretty strongly for its look, for its, you know, like the, the overly CGI look. And it's like, to me, it fit the design aesthetic because one of my goods is design. Right. The entire design from ships to cities to costumes, you know, uh, the risk they took to look different than the original trilogy, unlike, yeah. unlike the sequel trilogy when you got into The Force Awakens, Minus a couple minor redesigns, everything looks the same. Right. This one, the show that the arrow was different, the the thoughts and classes were different, everything was different, and they took a lot of design risks. And the CGI for that, though, people may may have disliked it. It holds up. It still looks. Yeah. It doesn't take you out of it. You're not watching, you know, to go back to our other heart, where Kirk falls off of Yosemite and Spock comes to get him. That special effect looks fucking terrible. Yeah. It it doesn't hold up. And that was only Well, that was eighty nine. <laughs> that was that was a lot. That was twenty that was twenty years before that. No, it was ten years before. Star Trek five was ten years before was eighty nine. Ninety nine, yeah. so yeah. it's ten years. So yeah. Still. That's a bad okay. Bad example. But how about how about the CGI in generations? We'll call oh. that, that yeah. Oh. Oh. Where it doesn't... Which isn't even as big of a gap. Yeah. There's a very small gap there. So. Woof. There we go. Yes. No, that's what I'm saying. It's a good. It, it held, holds up. Uh, I would say... This viewing was a little different for me. And okay. I've talked about this on the show before. After watching The Last Jedi, I had a newer appreciation for the prequels. Um, and seeing this movie and where it goes in the 
big story arc of the of the uh, franchise made me appreciate it more. Yeah. Okay, I have the one that's on our all our listeners' list and everybody's list. Darth Maul. Darth Maul is though he gets like two lines in this whole movie. Yeah. Maybe one. Um. Well, no, it's, you know, at last we shall reveal ourselves as a scan was complete, blah, 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 blah. And then, yes, my master was the other. Step. Yeah. But two scenes where he speaks. Uh, but it goes back into that design aesthetic where, you know, before we had, we were privy to the Emperor and Darth Vader. We hadn't seen anything like this before. And, uh, when John Williams' score comes on, Dula Fates hits and he removes the, moves the, the shawl, the top part of the cloak and is, the horn visage is there, the oh, yeah. nasty black teeth and everything like that. It just was, I mean, they talk about synergy of things. And that was like the confluence of everything coming together and working so well. Well, and you touched on a point that I think it was John Williams did a phenomenal job with that score. Yeah. Right? It's it's so grand and epic. Um, almost parts of it are almost more iconic without realizing it than the original trilogy score mm-hmm. um, specifically with the addition of the vocal chorus that they did in many cases yeah well I mean uh, Return of the Jedi does have vocal choruses Yeah. but this was so prominent Duel of the yeah. Fates that music video came out it was yeah. on it made its debut on TRL yeah if everybody can remember TRL Total Request Live with Carson Daly on MTV mm-hmm. uh so that it was something that you knew going into the movie. You already had the song. Yeah. You already had, you know, one of the, the highlights of the score going in. And, you know, we got to think, you know, yes, Williams is was forever in his prime. But this is 16 years after his last Star Wars anything. Right. You know, and I think especially as the prequels go along, his score, well, maybe not so much for Attack of Clones, but in Revenge of the Sith... It ties in six films worth of audio together. Right. So well, and this is help. I mean, just phenomenal. Bridge that gap. Bridge that gap. All right, you got another one. That, that's that's my goods. Okay, I have plot device story implications. I'm gonna be the one to say it here. I fucking love the midi chlorians. The fact that everybody hates it is is. Why they, why do people hate it? They hate it because they think it takes away the fact that anybody could be a Jedi, and now you're dependent upon a, symbio- a symbiotic relationship within your cells with this microscopic organism. That's how you can, which everybody misses the point. That's just how you communicate with the Force. The Force is everything, and it didn't. They didn't say you had to have so many. They never put a number on it. You need to have this many midi chlorians, otherwise you can't be a Jedi. Dread, Jedi is just training and learning to commune with it. But the fact force sensitive, yeah, right? they 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 harp on that. It's force sensitive, yeah. Uh, but a, it's a plot device to say like, okay, how are we going to say how powerful this kid is? Well, let's make up this scene that says uh, midi chlorian count. Wow, Yoda doesn't even have that many. It's a fucking throwaway line that people get pissed off at. But I love it because it's just a framing device. Well, not only that, but it also is kind of cool because they they make everybody get some warm and fuzzies because oh, Yoda's one of the most powerful Jedi. Okay, yeah. cool. But not only that, I think it's indicative, and like I was talking about earlier, about it's hard to disassociate yourself from the series as a whole, is that this is another way of showing, whereas Jedi used to 
uh, what you're led to believe from Qui-Gon. It's the Force telling you. It's a feeling. We're going to train this kid. So what, uh, whatever his age is or whatnot. And it shows that the Jedi base everything off of a science instead of off of spirituality. Right. So they go through as like, oh, what's your midi-chlorian count? And so there probably is a barrier. Like if you're below this, you're not. You just can't become. You're not going to be yeah. strong enough or whatever. And then slaves to a, a system to where they go in and like, yeah, he he passed the test, but yep, he's just too old and he's too attached and all this other yeah. stuff that they're they're beholden to a system. And they can even see at this point that the republic's kind of corrupt. And which is even funnier because they they can see the republic is corrupt. And that they themselves are not as all powerful as they seem to think they are. Yeah. And the fact is, you know, and you get Kedamundi, ah, the Sith have been extinct for a millennia. Well, dude, just gonna show you, there's this, this guy, and right. he was a Sith. And it's just like, well, yeah, we'll investigate this further. And Sam Jackson, bless him, but. Not his best uh, role. No. No, and Mace Windu himself is supposed to be an asshole. Right. That's what that's what you get. But he's a wooden asshole, and it's really you know that's when you start getting into that the technical aspects of some of the technical aspects of this movie and of the prequels as a whole are what people harp on. Right. But that's just why I want to. I talked about plot device and story implications. I like the idea of mini chlorians. I like the idea of how what what they further imply. Right. And then my last one is the, and we talked about it, how the film holds up. It's the advancing of technology. This is the first true motion capture character in Jar Jar Binks. You had other ones like the T-1000 and Terminator 2, but that was a human actor who would then have a motion capture transition to his liquid metal form. Right. But majority of the movie, he's in, he's, he, you can see that. Yeah. This is a Jar true. Jar Binks, a true motion capture person you know, before we ever got Gollum. Yes. You know, but every, and granted, Andy Circus is phenomenal. And what he, what they did and what Weta Workshop did with Gollum, phenomenal. But look at how Jar Jar looks and moves. It's believable. Yeah. You know, there's only one scene in the movie where it's a real hand and not CGI. And I think it's just that advancing of technology where Luke and the green screen, everything that Lucas doesn't get credit for with this. Or I got one more good. Okay, I, I'm I'm done. You go. Puppet Yoda. Puppet. Oh God. Like, well, on my Blu-rays, you don't even get Puppet Yoda anymore. No. No. Yeah, it's, I I still have the DVD set. I have the DVD set too. So. And it's, it's Puppet Yoda. Yeah. No, on the Blu-ray on the Blu-ray box set, it's uh, CGI Yoda. They went back and took him out. Oh, I love that it was Puppet Yoda. It just looks so bad. Yeah, I know, but that's that's what made it great. Yeah. Because they spent so much money in doing so much other CGI in this movie, and they went with Puppet Yoda. I had that in my goods. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> Except the Blu-ray took it out. Yeah. The Blu-ray changed a lot of things. Oh, uh, fun fact. You know the DVD version is different than the theatrical version. Everybody always talks about how the special editions were uh, like blasphemy, and we'll get to it later, but the how... Every successive release of the movies in the theaters have had alterations done, even the original trilogy. Right. And when episode one came out, the Potter race was actually five or six minutes shorter. When you got to the blue, when you got to the DVD, it was Which longer. Is funny because that's one of my bads. It's already too. It feels like it has, it a, it has a so long. It has a tendency to drag, and it it 
it's fun and it's entertaining and the sound design is great on it, but it definitely slows the movie down. It's so long. Okay, let's go into our bads. The pod race length. The pod race length. The pod length. race itself is a great concept. It's important for the plot to move forward, but it is so fucking long. Yeah. I'm I mean, sorry, I'm not, chewing a pretzel. No, it's not ugly long, but it's so long. Did, you didn't talk about your goods. I didn't rewatch it, so it's oh. not mm. right. Well, you didn't well. tell me to. Well, Joshua, you failed. Anyways, I'm a dick. What can I say? That's true. All Joshuas are. Wow. No, we're all That's assholes. What he says. I said all Joshuas. We're all assholes. You just happen to elevate it to dick level. No, I'm just right now being a dick. Oh, okay. Anyways, um, yes, the, the length of that fucking pod racing is just painful. I remember being in the theater, and, you know, when Sebulba is approaching Anakin, and, you know, that sound design of that knocking of the engine, and how yeah. it would just crank up that noise, you can't hear anything else is deafening, and then when yeah. it moves away, Ben Burt did some phenomenal job in it. Um, it's, it's, some of the bad... Jar Jar Binks, I'm not putting in the ugly category like many people would. Um, I think he's an important piece of the plot. I think he teaches a lot of people a lot of things. I don't think he's the Sith Lord that everybody kind of jokingly makes him out to be, but I think that's a funny plot twist to throw in there. Yeah. Um, but he's so over the top. Compared to even the other Gungans. Well, but... Who are... That's the point. He was banished... He's banished. He was he's, he's over the, the top the... And, and clumsy. So they banished him. And the rest of the Gungans are pretty like I, I get that he's the clumsy one. He's just so much. See, here's what I think. I'm the reason I left Jar Jar off my list. I actually have no problem with Jar Jar. I think if you really want to enjoy uh see see the value of Jar Jar's, watch the movie with a five to eight year old. No, I, and they'll, I, I get that he's a, which is why he's only on my bad, not yeah. the ugly. Right? I, I understand that he is the porn or, you know, the Ewok of this movie. Actually, most people, you can compare him to C-3PO. C-3PO was hated by most people when they saw it. He was annoying and just got in the way, whereas that's what Jar Jar is. Yeah. I have it, I have it down in my, uh, ugly, not Jar Jar, but I have the fact because of the fan backlash, we never got to see the conclusion to his story because this movie, he's the bumbling idiot. And it's a trope. It's the bumbling idiot yeah. trope. By the next movie, he's not supposed to be the bumbling idiot well, anymore. He's the, he's the representative to the Senate. Well, yeah, but he still he still speaks in a bumbling in the bumbling idiot manner. Right. When originally, in the parts of the original story, according to some sources, that by the next movie, he was supposed to speak basic like everybody else. Yeah. And by the third movie... He was something, supposed to do something heroic right. that would complete this. And it's a, it's a it's a well-known classic Hollywood trope, uh, the bubbling idiot arc. And But because of the backlash, we never got it, and he's forever left an annoying idiot. Right. And that's, what's, that's why I put it in my ugly. And it's mostly thanks to the early internet. That was a hard the stare at us. There's a hard stare at the uh, computer. Because, you know, people saw you. Yeah, I know. That's why I, I vocalized it. Uh, no, it's, it goes back to... trolls? It goes back to fucking Ain't It Cool News and Red Letter Media reviews where people read that once 
saw the movie once, read that, and that became their argument for 20 years. Right. You know, or the original trilogy fans, you know, generation of fans who hold themselves in high esteem is that we were the first fans of Star Wars. Right. It's like, yeah, and you shed on your own kids who like this. And yeah. you, you actually, we know people who won't show their kids the, the prequels because they hate them so. Oh, right. Yeah. And it's like, it's it, to me, it's like, wow, thank you for not giving your child the ability and the respect to judge tr- judge for themselves and find out what they what they like themselves. But just saying, I don't like it, so I'm not going to show it to my kids. Even though, this is the one that's specifically for kids. Yeah. So specific towards kids. So specific towards kids. Oh, God. Okay. In my bad, the fucking <laughs> battle droids are so annoying at first. They grow on. They grow, they grow on, on you. They yeah. grow on you. But it's just, it's just like that. I I know people who aren't even Star Wars fans who will send back texts. I'll say Roger, and they'll send back Roger, Roger. Yeah. I'm just like, wow, okay. What makes it into the zeitgeist of America of of pop culture, and that's still around? Right. Well, and, uh, one of the things I found interesting is they make you know, kind of on the droid conversation is they make destroyers seem fucking invincible yeah in this movie which as we learn later on is super not the case but it, it, it just it was a little over the top um, as is many things with this movie um, another one of my bads falls into a similar conversation piece as is with many of my complaints on a lot of the movies we've reviewed it's about 15 to 20 minutes too long okay Part of you need to cut is the pod race. Part of what you need to cut is the Gungan City scenes. Um, not necessarily the part where they're in the city, where they're leaving the city and they get in this... The Planet Core. The Planet Core shit. It, it was fucking totally unnecessary. Okay. I have... It's in my bad. George Lucas is a, is a great editor. Yeah. In this movie... And in the prequels, in in general, I think he he maybe not so much episode three, uh, he held scenes too long, and I think a lot of major people's complaints, especially about stuff about Jar Jar or Jake Lloyd's acting, yeah, or the Anakin in general, is that you could have changed so much of the narrative of this movie by simple thirty second editing cuts, yeah. So like, and I have a couple examples when. They're in the Gungan City, and Jar Jar's like, hey, uh, any help would be hot here. And they come and get it, and Boss Nass goes, be gone with him. Cut. Right. Cut right there. And yet we have we have 30, 30 to 65 seconds more of him going, better did he. Like, oh, my God, what am I saying? And he, like, you cut that out right there, right? Right. And you, you lost some of the annoying thing. The EOP farting after it's pulled the, the pod racer, Anakin's pod racer. Cut that out. You lost 30 seconds right there. You lost that complaint against that. When Anakin is uh, in the droid ship, you know, he, he mistakenly goes up there. Cut out him going, whoops, or what does this do? Cut all that out and make it seem like it's intentional. And then you've thus demonstrated his power. And that also there's a little darkness in him. You cut out all these little, just these tiny little bits here and there. And, you know, a good half of one of the middle lap. You know, you don't need yeah. half the stuff. Um, and you've, they made a tireder movie. B have thus 
taken away a lot of the humor is still there, but a lot of the low hanging fruit humor. Yeah. And I think I and that's why I say I have editing in my bad. But I think you make it a ten times stronger movie and you would negate so many people's arguments. And that's what if most of the people on the internet know, there was a guy who did a thing called the Phantom Edit. But he went to extremes. Yeah. He went to extremes. But what I'm suggesting is that just those small quick cuts. Right. A little bit, little bit more and I think I think it changes people's perspective in the scope of the entire movie. I don't disagree. So, ah, and that would then negate one of my other bads is that poor Jake Lloyd. You know, this this boy yeah. in the rest of his life had a hard, hard life and thought he hit pay dirt, went from Jingle all the way with Schwarzenegger to a galaxy far, far away and uh, it didn't turn out too well for him. And he was uh, unfairly destroyed by the internet and harassed. He's an eight-year-old boy that was just doing the job that he was told to do. Yes. So that... His acting falls under my bad category because he's eight, right? And he followed the best direction he was given. Again, this goes back to the reason I highlighted Liam Neeson's acting is because out of everybody, his was the most believable character. Um, actually, you know what? I'll, I'll even lump Shmi into that. Yeah. I felt like the actress who played Shmi did a good job there, too. Nice French actress. Actually, go back, and if you think back real quick, all the Jake Lloyd scenes with Liam Neeson, you have no complaints about Jake Lloyd's acting. Right. It's when Jake Lloyd's by himself or with other people, especially like him and Natalie Portman, their scenes together are horrific. Are are pretty bad. But you put him next to a seasoned actor. And, and Natalie Portman was a veteran at this time, but she's still young. She's 15, 16 when she does this movie. Right. You know, playing a, supposedly playing a 12 to 13 year old character. Right. Which doesn't come across to people. Not yeah. at all. Not even a little bit. Yeah. She's supposed to be 12 to 13. He's supposed to be 8 to 9. Well, yeah. No, the age gap seems way bigger. Yeah. <laughs> when in fact, he was really eight and she was 16, and that was considerable. It was very obvious on screen. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, again, I put him in the bad. At that age, as an actor, you are only as good as the scene around you. And I think you, you nailed it on the head. The scenes where he was with Liam Neeson was very good. Scenes where he was with anybody else was very painful. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when he was solo acting. His solo acting scenes were pain, painful. Okay. <laughs> You're doing it with the other one. Yes, Discovery. yes, solo, solo. It was beyond. It was beyond. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, that, that really covers my bad stuff. That covers my bads. No, we're, we're blazing through it. All right, I have... I already talked about the bumbling idiot trope in my ugly, the unfulfilled, the unfulfilled uh, story thread. Uh, I have one ugly, one major ugly that, uh, what do you, Nicole's over here giggling. Yeah, major ugly. Um, The Nemoidians. The heads of the Trade Federation. Oh, God. I had, because of, and here's the thing, and I I I have a solution for it that they should have done. 
But the fact that they're, it's a puppet and we all talk, everybody nowadays talks about practical effects and puppets. They f- tend to forget that there's times where it doesn't, the technology wasn't up to date or it didn't have those great animatronics. Uh, their heads, the mouths don't move with the words. And how do you fix that? Well, you take the lessons from Jabba the Hutt. You have them not speak basic. You have them speak their own language and have it fucking subtitled. Right. It's not that hard. They're not in that much in the movie. I mean, they have some scenes, but they're not in long enough scenes where you like, oh, my God. It's the Klingons at the beginning of Discovery where it's like I got ten minutes of them doing not being able to move their mouths and speaking and I'm reading subtitles. Yeah. This is a George Lucas Star Wars movie. It's, you know, the scenes are quick. Right. Subtitle changes all complaints. Yeah. But, and you get rid of it. But them trying to speak basic with the mouth, animatronic mouth that's yeah. not working so well. And it just, it, it brings out bad, 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 bad comparisons and yes. uh, believed or assumed racial stereotypes. Ooh, I could I could draw that allegory. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the fact is, I just want to point out George Takai played an Emodian in Clone Wars. Just thrown out there, Sulu Sulu did a. You think if they were, if it was, if people were as offended and thought it was a negative stereotype, that nobody'd do it. Yep. No, I agree. But I could see people's comparison based off the fact that that's yeah how it works, and yeah. it's 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 that entire animatronic thing you know just whatever or you don't even have subtitles pull another job of the hut and have your tc14 the female protocol droid be the interpreter right like see if you did with java you know you you have, you have options you don't need to have to get them to try to do it so yep that's my ugly yeah yeah you got an ugly this, yeah, this is not good radio here. Um, I would say the ugliest part of this movie for me personally, every single, that's a lie, almost every single bit of acting done by Natalie Portman. Oh boy, really? Oh, oh, painful. Especially knowing that she is in fact a good actress. That was just. I didn't think she was that bad in this movie. Oh. <laughs> I just couldn't. I, I can't. I can't. And don't get me wrong. I love that tiny little Jewish woman. But, oh, woof. Just, ugh. I, I get then, it. And then the space battle scene with Anakin being a bumbling idiot flying around. Qui-Gon told me not to leave this cockpit, so I didn't... I'm not leaving. I'm not going back until we're done. What? Again, cut out all... Cut out a lot of those 30-second clips here and there. Makes Much better. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. In fact, my argument supports exactly what you're saying. Yeah. But, oh, um, Natalie Portman's acting. Woof. I didn't think Natalie Portman's acting was bad. I thought... I, in fact, I thought she did she did really well. I think when you get into some of the later prequel movies, when her role has been diminished and her dialogue has gotten worse, it actually this 
There's You're one line. Right. There's, there's one... going to be a recurring theme with my uglies for all three of these movies. Yeah. There's a uh, there's a scene that's going to be up in episode three that is my most hated scene or line of dialogue in the entire Star Wars history of films. I'm curious. And episode three is in one of my top films. So what's the line of dialogue? I'm just, you you piqued my interest. You're gonna have to wait. We're gonna have to get to it. No. I'm sorry, but you're just uh, you're breaking my heart, Anakin. Oh. Yeah, it was just terrible foreshadowing. It's yeah. so bad in there, and the way she says it, it's one of the worst lines. It's like to me, like I'm I'm emotionally invested. I'm into the scene. I'm like, yeah, this is great. You're going down a road I can't follow. Okay, I'm getting it. You're breaking my heart. Nah, Aww. bitch. No. <laughs> There's one line too many. One line too many. Yeah, you should have just. You could have cried. You could have broke down. You could have turned your back. You could have done anything. Just that line's like, no, no. Again, thirty second edits. Right. Thirty second edits. Um. But the the evolution of how quickly Chancellor Valorum was ousted. Very weird. Uh <laughs> being a really big fan of politics and uh even this is you know, it came out when it came out, I was still in high school, but I was so I was that's when I, my affair, love affair with politics began at the time. Uh I understood the machinations and how it all worked. Um but I think what we were robbed of is that there could have been a little bit more if you did those quick edits and you got out of that first half of the movie a little quicker, you could have got a little bit more. And I know people who are listening to this are saying, no, we needed less politics, not more. And I think if you would have had just a tiny bit of exposition, yeah. it would have... The politics are pretty clear in the movie, for the most part. The general themes of what's happening yeah. are clear. But I think if you get a little bit more exposition, it adds to depth and to where you the most complaint about uh, politics wouldn't be there. It'd be like, oh, yeah, I mean... Personally, right. I might not have done it, but it worked. Because it's they use the politics as a trope to get us Chancellor Palpatine. Yeah. As opposed to really exploring what was going on and why it was an issue. But I think that's I think the way why it works the way it does now is the fact that the it, the title is the Phantom Menace. You're introduced to Darth Sidious. He's pulling the strings behind the thing, and because the, this is episode one, but it's really the fourth movie. Yeah. We most of the audience knows Palpatine and Sidious are the same person. Right. Um it's really fun when you hear stories about people who came in at episode one and didn't see the other ones and didn't know make yeah. that connection. Um especially since in the original trilogy they never say his name. He's just the Emperor. Right. Um but the the nose and the chin are the exact yeah. same. Uh, but I think it, then it, it works that you, you can see that he is spinning this thing and it works. Yeah. It's all to his benefit to get to this one spot. Right. And it all had to happen. Yeah. Some things happened that were outside of his plan, but he always made it work to his advantage. And I think that was the joy of that schmarmy politician. Yeah. And what makes it so relevant still to this day about hey, politicians and politicians, smarty politicians, and sometimes in democracies, especially ones that have end up becoming corrupt, can which actually use it to motivate their own ends. Which actually leads to one of my 
favorite lines in all of Star Wars, which doesn't come until a later movie. Yeah. Is it I am the Senate? No. <laughs> this is how, this oh, is how yeah. Liberty dies. Uh, yeah. With thunderous applause. Yeah. So I I know this is this was a quick we're only at forty minutes. Do you have a little bit more? I had one other insignificant thing which I've now lost. Never mind. You've lost it? I've lost it. Um, you know what I've lost? I've lost my marbles. Love and feeling. Oh. No, no goose. She has not lost that love and feeling. Don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. No, I, I okay. Overall, doesn't deserve the panning it, it, it typically receives. Yeah. Um, I find it is a quality movie that's held up over the last 20 years. Yeah. However, the moments where cringeworthiness begins are very extreme. Yeah. And too frequent. When you compare it to the ethos of other sci-fi regalia. Yeah. Um, especially with what comes after it. Um, uh, well, I can already say this, and I can tell to, you. To, to me, Episode 1 and Star Trek Motion Picture have a lot of very similar flaws. Okay. I, I see that. Um, now, we're not doing any ranking. Because well, it's hard to rank, hard to rank when, when you only have one film. But I can tell you, because it's not really changed that much over the years, and I'm, I'm expecting some change, but I know my bottoms won't change on this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> You're not going to change your bottoms. <laughs> the bottom of my I ranking... The bottom of my ranking won't really change, but episode one isn't the worst Star Wars film, in my opinion. It does not fall into the last spot. Would that be... Well, people are going to have to tune into this horror series... Follow us on this journey month by month, and they'll find out. That's right. Rather quickly. Yeah. What, what I feel is the worst Star Wars film is. Star Wars Episode 2. Not important. Yeah. Um, however, I have to say, Nicole, any closing comments? Since you were here and didn't really add much to the conversation, because Josh is a dick and didn't tell you to rewatch it soon. Don't make you guys didn't watch it together. Not important. Ditto. Anyways. Ditto, what you just said. Right, I get that, but <laughs> no, about the movie, not about me being I mean, a dick. Everything that you guys were talking about, I remember probably twenty percent of that. So I remember the really long race. I agree. Okay. Um, Natalie Portman, remember her? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Seen her? I know who she is. The little kid was annoying. Um. Yeah, and there was. Some fighting, and <laughs> I don't remember. I, last movie. time I watched it was a while ago, so I needed a refresher, and I was not given the opportunity. Question for you, Joshua. Why do we not see the concept of control ships at this level throughout the rest of canon? Is, was this them learning not to do it that way? Uh, Thinking specifically in how this plays into a piece of canon, the Clone Wars, as a good example. They they learned by that time that what good's your army if it can all be wiped out when you take out one thing. Right. So um, there's actually, that, that goes into when we get into episode two, um, there's a whole big 
There's a whole big... Don't pay any attention to the woman under the blanket. There's a whole big cut storyline. Uh, there's a sequence called the assault on the droid ship. Uh, when you get to the, uh, the Genosian battle and everything out of the Jedi, yeah. where they went thinking, okay, we need to take out the control ship and we won. And they go and they get up there and they destroy the, they don't destroy the whole ship, but they find the actual core to where they just, yeah. where they can turn it off. And they find out that there's still a droid control ship. However, if that ever, link is ever interrupted, that droids then turn to an independent motivator so they can still keep going right. under their whatever their last command was. Uh, which is funny because one of the things that I enjoyed about the Clone Wars that you don't see here nor do you see it in any cinematic is um, the tactical droids. Or, you know, the command droids, if you will. Well, once you get into full-out war, there's more companies producing droids right. and the tactical droids the in the other classifications you have a lot of other assassin droids yeah. like the BX commandos and all this other stuff uh, was that way they needed greater independent autonomy so that they could actually still follow orders uh, and be useful because the 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 confederacy primarily relied upon droid armies they had organic armies too right but those were contributed by independent systems and how are you going to take yeah. Battle to all those clones. Let's see. Same face clones versus same face droids. It was like uh, organic droid versus mechanical droid. Right. Pretty much what that whole. So one of the questions I want to start to pose, and this is kind of on the philosophical one, as we as we arc through the next couple, is are in fact the Jedi actually the villains of the story? They're going to tell you that right now, yeah. But why? No, you don't get you don't, not something to answer now, but really investigate it over the when next we, couple episodes. When, when we get to episode three, I will fully answer that question. To uh, I already have I spent a lot of years thinking about this, and a lot of years reading, especially the old EU, even yeah. though a lot of that's, all that's gone now. Yeah. Um, I think there's still some lessons that you can that parallels you can draw from that and the Clone Wars cartoon, right? And stuff that you learn in the sequel trilogy and not just the original trilogy, yeah. real, original trilogy, Jedi really do get that deified treatment. Doesn't Yoda say it? Doesn't he say something to that effect where it was like our fault and we need something new? He says that in Episode Three. Well, sort of. Sort of. Sort of. Um, but pretty much the only time you really get that from an actual Jedi is in Last Jedi, where Luke talks about that when he's talking to, to Rey. Right. Um, and another, well, that had, that was much bigger implications, um, which was incredibly accurate about the arrogance of the Jedi Order. Um, but he also talks about how the Jedi now are deified and hero worshipped, right. when the fact is they were fallible like everybody else. Right. The, the piece that I, postulate too and they start talking about it here but you kind of arc it through the end of episode three is Anakin actually fulfills the prophecy of a sort it depends on what your definition of balance is and George Lucas never specified but yes there's stuff that you can ancillary materials that you can draw on to say that yes he did it but did he really because there's it's it depends on how you define balance Depends. It's equal light, equal dark, you know, so two and two. But 
even then it wasn't two and two. Yes. Um, for the record, this was recorded on January 20th, 20th, 2019, which happens to be, may he rest in peace, the late birthday of one DeForest Kelly. So, Why did you bring that up now on our horror when you could have brought it up on our previously recorded episode of regular episode of Talking Trek Wars? I don't know. Because damn it, Jim. <laughs> All right. Well, that's been that's been our our half-assed review of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Next month will be Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. Uh. And you can tell by Jeremy's excitement. Thanks for stopping by.